good morning, church. Let me just say it's a joy to be back uh, in the U.S. My wife and I have spent uh, about 10 days or so in El Salvador, and we have really appreciated your prayers. Uh, it was a great trip. Um, God used um, a lot. There were folks from, from Kentucky, Illinois, and Missouri that were involved in this trip. There are 17 of us all together. And we did eyeglass clinics. And there's just something about uh, people that uh, haven't been able to see. Sometimes we, we just um, don't realize the needs of the world outside of the U.S. borders. And uh, you would think that in a country like El Salvador that getting eyeglasses wouldn't be that big of a problem. But uh, for many of them it is. And um, to be able to get those and to give them to people, get people's eyes tested and to do prescription level glasses and to give it to them is just, it's, it's really, there is a personal fulfillment that you get from doing that. But even then on the spiritual side of that is that when we get uh, finished with that, we take them to the last part of, uh, of, our, of our work and that's where we share the gospel and not only do they receive the physical uh, sight, but they receive spiritual insight. And for, for about 60 or so, we, we, um, I think it was 808 people that we gave classes to. Uh, about 60 or so of them prayed to receive Christ. And uh, we gave about 200 Bibles away. Many of them, the first thing they wanted to do was to get a Bible and to read it because they hadn't been able to see to, to read that. And so it's just a joy. You've helped us to do that as a church, and we, Karen and I, are so appreciative of that. We also were in about eight different churches through that time. Uh, different different parts of the team was speaking. We were in the two public schools and one private school where we shared with high schoolers and and uh, upper level grade school. And then we did some stuff with puppets with the smaller children. And there are many many professions of faith with those. We don't usually count. Uh, I don't I don't get a running count of those kind of things because so many do seem to respond. But we just want to make sure. And it's not about the numbers side of that, but there were many, I, I'll say this, there were many re, uh, responses to the gospel. And so um, it's, um, it's just a joy to be able to do mission work. I've, I've been involved with missions for quite a while now, and um, God's just has blessed in some great ways through that. We are planning on uh, taking a, a team the last of July, the first of August. I do have an eyeglass clinic set up. It's in a little, it's in a little village area right on the um, on the Salvadoran-Honduran border. I mean, the border is right there. So we're going to have people from both sides of the, both countries there. It's called Citala. And um, we could use um, about 17 uh, people to help us work in that. And then I believe we're also working with some of the youth. Uh, and we'll have uh, lots of opportunities to do some other things then. Uh, while we're there too. So be praying about that and how you may be able to take part in that. Uh, they're just, it's just a joy to be able to do that. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, I'm trusting you do, I want to share with you a message that God has given to me on running like a champion. Now, about uh, back in July or August, um, Josh had preached a message from the book of Hebrews on uh, on this very on these very verses, I I had listened to it back then, 
and um, and it was a good, great message. But God has kind of laid this on my heart, this theme of running like a champion. I think there's something about that. Now, you do realize I'm not, uh, I'm not emphasizing here that we're going to be signing everybody up to run uh, a race before, uh, when we're finished here. Because you're already in a race. It's a spiritual race. And understanding what that is. And so in these passages, we, we will see that. But before I, uh, before I give those to you, let me, um, let, let me just uh, share with you a little bit here. Maybe you're familiar with, um, with this race that took place on May the 6th in 1954 when Roger Bannister from England was the first person to run the, the four, break the four-minute uh, record uh, he ran it under four minutes, uh, the mile, and he did that uh, at uh, three minutes, 59 seconds, and four tenths, okay? So he, he, you know, before that time, this record had never been set. Now, they tried a number of ways to get people to do that. They actually would take wild animals and chase the runners with wild animals. Now, our, our upward coaches aren't doing that, but uh, anyway, I haven't seen any yet. I haven't seen any claw marks or anything like that on any of them. And that didn't work. And then someone even had the idea, well, what we need to do is give them tiger milk. I mean, you know, this is a different, whole new different thing than Tony the Tiger cereal. Because um, I'm wondering who milked that kitty cat. Uh, okay. But uh, anyway, they thought that maybe it was by, by that that it would cause people to run, and it didn't. And, and doctors actually had even come to a conclusion that if, if a person ran... Um, you know, ran a mile under four minutes that their, their lungs probably would explode, their heart would explode, they're not going to be able to do it. Until Roger Bannister did that, and he did that uh, in a successful way, and here's what happened. Um, within 46 uh, days of that, an Australian man by the name of John Landy uh, ran it, and he did it in three minutes and 58 seconds. So not that much about that much difference uh, in one and the other, but it, you know, in running and sports and things like that, every little second and every tenth of a second counts. And so uh, he did that. And, uh, and the world was just, I mean, they were just amazed that this, not only did he do that, and since that time, within about six months of time, there was a number of people who actually didn't set new records, but they did run it under uh, four minutes, and uh, so uh, they th there was a lot, but uh, but uh, Bannister was the leader in in doing that. If you have your Bibles, I want to give to you a passage of Scripture here in Hebrews, in chapter twelve, that uh, just kind of focuses a little bit on running like a champion. How would we run like a champion? Let's stand together as I read to you this passage of Scripture. Just a couple verses, but really profound, filled full of lots of truth, and we'll, we'll mine down deep in some of these and pull them out. Notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so let's pray again and just ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand in honor of your word because it's so powerful. We ask for you to move in our hearts. We want you to do that. I pray that you give me the words to speak to this congregation this morning for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. The people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a great passage of scripture. Uh, Great truths that we find here often in the in the New Testament, and a few places even in the Old Testament, we find references to those that were um, very much, um, in their writing, they would talk about athletics. Um, Paul did that. As a matter of fact, there are a couple verses here. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, that the Apostle Paul in his writing, uh, he said, do you not know that all uh, that uh, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. And so he's talking about the Olympics or some different races that they had in their time and their day. And he says, so run that you may obtain it. And so uh, when we talk about uh, running uh, spiritually, it's that we would, we would be pleasing unto the Lord. Now, uh, he goes ahead and talks in here, but he says he's talking about... Uh, uh, running, he's talking about boxing, uh, and he says, but uh, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. So there is that aspect, any of you who've been involved in sports in your past, or are involved with sports now, or even as our kids are out here doing upward, we know that there is that element that it requires some discipline, some training, some practicing, some running, some preparing, getting their bodies conditioned to do whatever that sport is. And that's what Paul was saying. And in the same sense, he was not talking about physical physical conditioning. He was talking about spiritual conditioning, that we would be spiritually conditioned to be champions as runners and that we would continue to move forward in the course that was given to us. Now, Notice that he also says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, um, in this particular chapter, he says, and uh, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You have to, you have to do it according to uh, whatever that game is. Uh, it's not a free-for-all. You don't make your own decisions as you uh, get ready. I do remember uh, some years ago hearing about... Um, Fidel Castro, who was, uh, who was playing in a baseball game in Venezuela. And so Castro was up to bat. And as he was up to bat, uh, they pitched the first ball, and Castro um, didn't swing, and the umpire said, strike, strike one. And um, pitched the second one, they said, strike two. He swung at the third one, missed it, they said, strike three, you're out. And he said, no, I'm not. Of course, they let him because it was Fidel Castro. And um, he just stayed there. So he hit the ball on the fourth pitch. When he hit the ball, he ran to first base. They picked the ball up, threw him out at first. He said, you're out. And he said, no, I'm not. So they let him stay on first base. And see, what we're saying here and what Paul is trying to emphasize is that there's a way that we can grow spiritually. Do you know, do you know that, that Peter in his writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. God has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you know that? God has given to you everything you need for life and godliness. 
And so he has equipped us. He gives to us his Holy Spirit. And, and yet he, he, he doesn't do this with us just being idle, sitting by, and just you know, let, let, letting God use our heads like it's a big funnel and, and pouring stuff into it. And instead, he gives to us opportunities. And we can exercise our faith, we can grow, we can move forward in these kind of things. And so that's what we find here in these passages. Let me just um, uh, say to you, first of all, i got four simple truths that I want us to pull out of this. Uh, first of all, we're to follow the examples of faith-filled believers. Tonight, at the Super, at Super Bowl um, game, at the end of that, there's going to be, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be losers. But no doubt about it, there's going to be those that will all of a sudden, they're going to be the idolized people because the way maybe they played or because they become the most valuable player for the team or they did, the, they, they did something that was just absolutely incredible, uh, however they did. And yet, Paul uses a similar type of picture here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, Paul was not saying that those of our ancestors that have died or family members and friends and so forth, that they're up in heaven, they're sitting in the sides on the, in the stands as we're out in the arena playing the game, and they're saying, go ahead, you can do it, you can make it, you're going to do all right. That's not what Paul's saying, or, or, or the author of Hebrews. They're not saying that, because that's not what the passage says. But what the passage is saying, he uses the word, therefore, Therefore, always goes back what was said before this. In chapter 11, he's talking about the names of individuals who live by faith. Incredible things that took place by faith. And he is saying, therefore, because of these kind of things, we're surrounded by the testimonies of great men and women of God. This church has great men and women of God from the past and some that are in the present right now still alive. We're surrounded by those who have already gone on to be with the Lord. They're testimonies of great things that have taken place and how God used them to accomplish His purposes and His will. I read lots of books, 25 or 30 a year. I try to read anyway. I love reading books on history and so forth, but mainly focused in areas of Christianity. I do read outside of that, but a lot of it, I love to read the autobiographies of great Christian men and women who, who, do, who accomplish great things with little resources and little ability, some of them having no schooling and education, and some of them having great schooling and education, but God used them individually to accomplish His will. That we can look up to now, they're, they've died and they're gone on to be with the Lord in heaven. And as a result of that, their faith, their testimony of how they lived and what they did inspires us to continue moving on. And that's what Paul was talking about. Or that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. That we are to be following the examples of faith-filled believers. Who is it you're following? Who is it that you're looking up to? Who, who becomes the, the person, the, the celebrity that, that you're looking to and you're saying, oh, if I could only be like this guy, if I could only do this or if I could only do that or I could be like this woman or this person or whatever. But are they good, solid, faith-believing Christian people? And that's, that's very important for us. Here's the second thing. He says to get rid of the unnecessary. Notice what he says here. He says, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, this is, this is an important, very important truth. Uh, for those years that Karen and I were in Papua New Guinea, uh, for about eight years, uh, at times uh, I would have to go on hikes, especially in those last couple years, uh, we were training new missionaries. So we lived out at the mission base. These new uh, recruits coming in from all over around the world, uh, they would come in, they would spend some time there, Karen worked with them in learning the national language, and then I would take them on their first survey trip out in the jungle because we were surveying to find out where there's tribes of people that needed missionaries. And so these were unreached people groups. We had spotted them from the air in helicopters or airplanes, got a, a geographical location of where they were, and I would take these new missionaries, two or three of them, at a time, it'd be four of us all together, and the helicopter would take us off and drop us off uh, out in the jungle, maybe pick us up two weeks later or something like this. And so I would tell these guys, okay, now guys, this is what we have to have. We have to have a backpack, and that backpack can only have so much weight in it because you're going to carry this all day long. We're going to go up hills, down hills. You're going to be crossing rivers maybe 25, 30 times, uh, so you only want to take what you need to take almost every time when those guys would come. They would have a lot of things. This one lady, she had made her husband like five pounds of cookies, you know. And uh, I told him, I said, hey, you know, it's going to be pouring down rain. We're going to cross rivers. I'm going to tell you that within a half day, you'll see that bag of cookies laying on the, on the trail. You'll be looking at what you've got that is unnecessary for you to carry. And you see, when we look at this passage of Scripture, those, that's really the point that, that we find here in this passage, is that there's two areas that he points out. First of all, the unimportant things. What is it that you're carrying in life that is weighing you down? It's not important. What I mean by unimportant is non-eternal purposes. Much of what we do will have no eternal significance at all. But when your focus starts changing and you start thinking of the eternal, of, of, the, of, what, it, of what you do and the consequences that it has in the life of others, I'm going to tell you what it'll do. Not only will it change you in your thinking, it'll change your children. And your children will start thinking uh, in, in a like manner. So it takes parents having that right focus and we need to make what the, the main thing the main thing and always keep it the main thing. And many churches have lost the main thing. They can be involved in many, many things, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus is the main thing. We'll be talking about that at the end. The last point we have is keeping our focus on Jesus. And so there's unimportant things that we can get ourselves bogged down in and uh, we're to lay aside every weight. All those things that do not matter, don't take them, don't carry them on. And then, and then we're to get rid of the ungodly things, the sin that, uh, which is so easily ensnaring us and tripping us. Oftentimes when we would hike, we would have vines and stinging nettles and all kinds of things that would uh, get onto our legs and we would get cuts and all of this kind of stuff and tripping and sliding and 
uh, because the jungle was raining every day, and, um, and it was slimy, and it was uh, dirt. Those of you who've been in Vietnam, you know what I'm talking about, uh, because a tropical jungle is a tropical jungle. And, uh, and it's very, it's not uh, like it's dry all the time. It rains every day there. And so, uh, so it's rough. It's hard. You know, crossing the rivers, there's been more than one time that uh, we pull leeches off our legs after coming out of the rivers. These kind of things, things that will easily, the ungodly things that, that easily ensnare us and, and, uh, and cause us to slow down in our journey with the Lord. And so the author here is saying that we have to be careful. We have to be evaluated. We're going to be champion runners for our Lord and accomplishing what he would have us to accomplish. Then we've got to keep our focus set where it needs to be. And we've got to make sure that we're not putting a bunch of unnecessary stuff in our backpacks, our spiritual backpacks, to carry around these things that will have no eternal value at the end. And remember what Paul says? That all of the things that we do, all of our works as believers, are going to be tried by fire. And he said, when it's tried by fire, he says, this is what could happen. Some of the things you're doing is going to be like gold, silver. Uh, it's going to be like precious uh, jewels, precious stones. When fire hits, when fire hits those things, what happened? The only, it, nothing. It, 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 it's still a good quality. It has its value. But he said, some of the things you do is going to be like wood, hay, a stubble. And when fire hits that, what happens? It's consumed immediately. And in the life of some of you here, you have to be looking. Are the things that I'm doing going to be gold, silver, precious stones? Or the things that I'm doing is just wood, hay, and stubble? And it's going to be gone. That's where, that's where we are. That's what Paul is talking about. And so the weight of sin, it does a lot of things. It breaks our fellowship with God. Not our relationship, but our fellowship. And it, and it short changes us when it comes to having a vision and, uh, and, and distorts the, our thinking as in serving God. And we'll say, I, I can't. I'm not able. I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. I don't have the ability. None of those things is what God asks of us when he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. None of those things. Our Lord, our Lord will give to you the abilities and he'll give to you the power of his Holy Spirit to accomplish the things that you thought you could never, ever uh, be able to do. Only God can do those kind of things. And, uh, and sin clings to us. It, it, it will always slow us down. It entangles us. It, it entraps us in addiction. Sometimes a small sin that's been unconfessed and let go will become a major issue in your life down the road. That's why it's very important that the smallest of sin is confessed and you say, yes, Lord, I want cleansed of that. I want freedom from that. I don't want this to be an addiction. I don't want this to have any control in my life in these areas. And so those things are very important for us. Now, I want you to notice the third thing. And that's that we're to run with endurance. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I found out there's a few things that's very important about running. I ran cross country. You can tell I'm a runner just by the way that I am, especially when it's the dinner bell rings. I'm running for it, okay? My wife just told me this morning as I was eating a donut, 
You're not, you're, not, you're not supposed to be doing that. What happened to that talk we had last night? No sweets. I, was just, I just went in here, and the next thing I know, it just it jumped right into my hands and this kind of stuff. We're to run with endurance. Now, when we're running with endurance, there's some things that we, should, we, we, we need to understand. First of all, God sets your course. I ran cross-country where we would run anywhere from 2.8 to maybe 3.2 miles. Um, uh, at, in, in a cross-country, we practiced for five miles at, uh, every day, and uh, just preparing for the race. Now, I've never been in a cross-country race where they said, you guys just take off, go, boom, everybody takes off running, every direction. No, there's a course marker. When you're running that far, they may have people at certain places that are saying, here's where you make your turn, or they may have markers. We used, to, we used to do 5K runs when I was in Branson. Our church would do them. We hosted them around Memorial Day. Sometimes we'd have two or 300 runners that would be running, but we had signs. We had everything set up where people would know where to run, and, uh, and you had to follow the course. Now, there were people that were observing, because if you didn't follow the course, you're disqualified. You can't come in first place by cutting, by, by cutting corners. By cheating. And so, so we've got to follow the course that God has set for us. And for each one of us, that course may be a little bit different. But God has a course for you. Are you following it? Are you doing what, what, he, what he would have you to do? Are you, are you in your own lane, the lane that you need to be in? You've probably seen at times in the Olympics or other things where people were running and they were switching lanes and somebody got tripped up or something of this sort, and it disqualified the one who fell on the one who caused him to fall. These kind of things. I know for, for myself, uh, I didn't set any records in our school, and there's an obvious reason why I didn't set the records. Because when we were running uh, cross-country, um, some of my friends just got their car, and uh, we were scattered out over this five-mile stretch of there, and they would come by, and they would bring my buddy and I, who ran together. Uh, we were running, and they would bring us cokes and things like this. And then to drink the cokes, we sat on the front of their car as they drove uh, that. And you know, we set records in practice. The coach said, "Wow, you guys, you guys are really improving your time." <laughs> but you know what happened in the race? Everybody's on the bus when we came in. They're already they're they're all waiting. Where you guys been? I mean, the race got over 30 minutes ago. We come in huffing and puffing. You know why? Because we didn't follow the course. We didn't stay in our lanes. We didn't do the things. And you know, you know what has happened in the life of many believers? You're not staying in your, in, in your lane. You're not following the course God's given to you. And you're wondering why spiritually things aren't going the way they need to go. And I just want to tell you. It happens to many, many believers. Satan, is ex he is very crafty in deceiving and getting you to get out of the lane and get in and, and doing something else and to not follow the course that God has set for you. I've seen it many times that people, and they will take a nosedive when they do that. Now, the, the third part of that is running with endurance is that uh, that just means that we're, we're continually moving. Not only do we totally surrender to our Lord, and not only do we total, uh, totally obey uh, what he says, but, but there's a total trust that, that he is enabling us to run, and we can, with confidence, 
uh, continue to move forward in doing that in a great way. Now, uh, I've, I, I don't know about you, but where we lived in Papua New Guinea, we had lots of Australians there. New Zealanders, a lot of English people. So I, I, uh, we, we talked a lot, and they really were sports enthusiasts. But there was a race that takes place between Sydney uh, to Melbourne, Australia, called the Ultra Marathon. You can Google it and look it up if you want. Uh, in 1983, I don't know if they do it every year, but they do it uh, every so many years. But in 1983 um, is the one that I want to point out to you. And the, the race is a distance of, five, uh, of, of uh, 875 kilometers, which is equal to 544 miles. So as you might know, that's going to take quite a while to run that. Okay? We're talking days of running. And uh, they have lots of runners that will, uh, will start out in, uh, in Sydney and run to Melbourne, Australia. And they did that well. Uh, in 1983... Cliff shows up. Cliff is 61 years old. He's a potato farmer and uh, a sheep herder uh, out in the outback areas of Australia. And uh, he shows up there, and Cliff is wanting, um, at the registration line, they just thought he was there to observe the race. And he says, no, I, I, I need my number. And they said, are, are you kidding? You showed up just like this. Uh, he had on his plastic boots or rubber boots. And, um, and he had overalls on um, when, he, when he originally did the race. And, um, and they said, well, you, you know, you do realize we're talking about 544 miles. And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. And so um, people thought he was joking. They gave him, I think it was number 64. And so they all lined up to run. The runners all had on the nicest, newest brands of shoes for running. Nice little outfits to run in. And usually what they would do is run eight hours or longer, maybe 10 or 12 hours, and then they stopped and they would sleep for four or five hours, and then they would get up and run again. The gun goes off. Everybody takes off. They're all jogging and running setting their pace to run, not Cliff. Cliff has got this shuffle where he's just shuffling, kind of like this, as he was going, just shuffling. He was, I mean, starting off, he was so far behind. People were laughing. People were saying, someone's got to get in there and do something to help Cliff Young because he's going to hurt himself. And so the first day, Cliff was the last runner out of 120 runners, and uh, he, he, was, he was behind all the way. Well, everybody stopped to go to sleep. No one told Cliff, you're supposed to go to sleep. He just kept running. And he ran all night. And he took the lead, caught up with him and took the lead. And he never was out of the lead for the rest of the, for the, rest of the race. And at this time now, all of Australia is looking and they're saying, oh my goodness, how could this ever be? How could a 61-year-old guy wearing long pants with overalls and, and rubber boots and just doing this little shuffle, how could he be ahead of everybody like this? And so, 
they continued running and they continued running and uh, as it as it was and uh, what ended up happening with that is that uh, uh, let me get the get the facts out here that five days fifteen hours and four minutes later Cliff five days we're talking about fifteen hours and four minutes later Cliff comes shuffling across the finish line in Melbourne winning this race. Now, he didn't win by a few minutes or a few seconds. The next closest runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. They were astonished. No one had ever done anything like that. Matter of fact, they studied his shuffle to see if that was the best way. And what, it, what, what they discovered was that he was using so little oxygen in his moving that he was continually, he wasn't, he wasn't burning out, he wasn't wearing out, but he was making progress, he was enduring. And this is what I'm telling you. The scripture says that we're to run the course of us with endurance. And for some of you, you're physically worn out. Maybe you're older. You feel like, I, I, I can't do anything. That's not true. God spiritually has a place for you. For you, those of you that are younger, there's no question uh, in my mind that God, God has a plan. He's got a place for you. He wants to use you. There's no time for us to set aside and to say, I've done my thing or, or, or I can't be used. No, God wants to continue to use you and he will use you. Because God has chosen you before the foundations of the world, before he ever spoke a word uh, of, of creation, he knew that there would be a day that you would get saved. He knew when you would be born. He knew, he knows when you will die. He knows all of those things. He's a sovereign God. He's not some mamby-pamby God that doesn't know what's going on in our world. No, he created you, and he has a plan for you, and he has a course for you to run, and he's wanting you to take those steps to move forward to let God use you in this church and other places. Some of you need to make decisions, and those decisions, uh, the most important could be for Christ. Others of you need to make decisions to unite with the church, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, as we saw this young girl today, and she's making, she's confessing her faith to others, that I, I am a follower of Jesus. For others of you, maybe it's a class, maybe it's a mission trip, Maybe it's giving. Maybe, maybe it's, a, uh, I, I've had people that have given money for Bibles that we would be able to use them uh, in different places. What, whatever that may be that God is speaking to your heart about. But God's wanting to use you. He's wanting you to endure. He's wanting you to go on. He's wanting you to continue moving forward. And the last thing that I would share with you uh, on this is that you've got to keep your eyes focused Notice what he says here, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. That's a key. When we start looking at other things, we get sidetracked. I've seen many churches that started out strong, and they've gone off the wrong direction. They've gone off this direction. They've missed it. We can never lose that. We must always keep our focus set on our Lord, and for your family, you need to make sure that your family has their focus set on the Lord. And as parents, you're the ones that are enabling and helping your children and your grandchildren to see that your focus is set on eternal things with our Lord. Now, 
Let me just uh, illustrate that again by another race that took place. This race took place a few years after Roger Bannister and John Landy had uh, broken the world records, and they, they had the two of them running against each other in a race. Before they weren't running against each other, they just had set the records. And so in 1954, uh, they ran against each other in the Empire Games uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Canada. And, uh, and all the news people were there. They were just so excited about the fact that the two fastest men in the entire world that has broken the four-minute mile record are going to be competing, running against each other, and somebody probably will be breaking a record. And so they were all there. They just thought this was just the greatest thing. And so they, uh, they took off. The race was going about 50 yards from, from the finish line. John Landy, who could not see where Roger Bannister was at, turns to his left, and he's looking behind him as he's running, looking for Bannister, while Bannister was on the right, and he passes John Landy. And as he passes John Landy, John Landy never was able to catch up. And so Bannister won the race. Now, the sad part about it is that even history uh, and in their recordings, as you got pictures like this, it was taken from the newspapers, uh, but also there were paintings that were made. And in the paintings of these two men running, it always had Landy looking back to his left and Bannister moving forward. Matter of fact, there's a statue in Vancouver, British Columbia, with these two guys, how would you like to be John Landy? They say, hey, they, you know, they got a memorial for me there. Uh, why I lost the race. I was looking to my left as Bannister ran around me. And what I'm saying to you is that when we take our focus off of what our Lord would have us to do, we're in trouble. When we've got our eyes off of Jesus, we're in trouble. Now, I, I will tell you that that wasn't the end for John Landy. Because John Landy was running in Australia a few years later. And while he was running in Australia, the runner in front of him tripped and fell. And fell into his lane. As Landy was running, he jumped, tried to jump over him. And when he came down, his cleat hit the man's arm. John Landy stopped, he turned around, he went back, and he picked up this guy. He made sure he was all right. He lost seven or eight seconds in the race. People have said, he's out. There's no way. He was, he was over a lap behind. John Landy turns around after he sees his uh, uh, fellow runner is all right, and he starts running. He wins the race in which they said had he not stopped with being able to win the race, he would have set a new record, world record with running under the, in the four-minute, under the four-minute mile. He became well-known, a national hero because of his stopping and turning. I'm, I'm telling you, because some of you have stopped somewhere along the line, you've messed up. Maybe you've got a reputation. But I'm telling you, God's not finished with you. He's got a place for you. 
And you know what you need to do? Start running. You start, need to start moving forward. Whatever your past has been, I can tell you that our Lord will forgive you. Our Lord loves you. He died on a cross for you. He knew you would be sinning. He knew that you would be failing in areas. There's nothing that you've done that he's shocked at because he knows. But I'll tell you what else he does. Just like Peter who took his eyes off the Lord, what did Peter do? He said, Lord, if that's really you, let me come out there. Jesus says, come. Peter steps out on the water. He starts walking. The old King James uses the word boisterous. The winds and the waters were boisterous. They were scary. They were, they were uh, terrifying. And Peter got his eyes off of the Lord and started looking at the things around him. And he started sinking. He cries out immediately, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out immediately. I don't think Jesus says, no, let you go under a couple times, teach you a lesson. He didn't do that. Our Lord doesn't want you to learn some painful, hurtful lesson like that when you've cried out, Lord, save me. I'm telling you, our Lord reaches out and he'll take you by the hand and he'll lift you. There's nothing you've done that is beyond his forgiveness if you'll trust him this morning. We all have decisions to make. I trust that we all could leave here today being champions, running for the Lord doing all that we can do for his glory, for his honor. So many other great truths in these two verses, but we won't go into them. We'll just stop here. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come, and we have a song of invitation. And in our invitation, some people have said, well, well what do you mean by an invitation? Well, it's a time where we can reflect on what has God said to your heart at this time? And uh, how do we respond? Well, Is there something that God has just really pinpointed in you that's been said? I don't have your names. I don't know. 90 of you, if you ask me, 90% of you, if you said, what's my name? I'd have to say, I'll see. Let's see. I had to think about that again. I recognize your face, but I'm not sure who. So I, I don't have you down in my notes. Is that I've got, I know what they've been doing. I don't have any of that. But I can tell you the Holy Spirit has spoken to the hearts of some people today. And an invitation is a time where we just respond and say, okay, God, I'm going to respond. I hear what you're saying. It could be that you make a decision right there in your pew where you are, just bowing your head and saying, Lord Jesus, I, I need this. I want to be a champion runner for you. I want, I want to serve you in a way that you would be honored. Help me, help me to value the eternal things in life. Let me go through and just let the material things of this world consume me. That's, that's, where, that's, what I, that's what I'm talking about. You may want to make it. You, you may want to come forward. And you may want to talk with someone. I'm here. Josh is here. Bob's here. We just want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to meet you where you are. Because that's, where, that's what our Lord will do. I'm so thankful that, that he didn't tell me when I came to him. You go home, clean yourself up. And then you come back. And then we'll, we'll talk about what I can do. But he said, if you'll come with your heavy burdens... I'll give you rest. So let's stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our, our congregation this morning. Move in us and work in us to just be obedient to you for your glory.
advancement of your kingdom. And Father, it's for our good. We know that you want to do work in us. And so I just pray that we would be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray.